the Advent season, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, is designed to remind us to be anticipating Christ's return. We know he's here, but we reaffirm that idea of this, uh, this, this wonder and joy of receiving Christ into our lives. And church history, they created the weeks of Advent in an Advent wreath to help us remember the important things during Advent. What do we want to focus our attention on during the Advent season and ask the Lord to help develop in us? And so the first week of Advent, we focused on what? Hope. So we think about hope during Advent, that especially hope tied to the, the fact that Christ will return because that Advent proves to us something. It proves the, the reliability of God in Scripture, that the Scriptures foretold that Jesus would come. And Christmas, Jesus comes. It's the, it's the fulfillment of all these prophecies that Jesus comes. And so we have hope that says, you know what, if all these things that he promises are true and, and he fulfilled them, all the other things Jesus promised are also true, and we can trust them. So we hope in Christ, and we hope in his promises during Advent. Then what was next? Peace. Um, one of the prophecies that Isaiah told during the, for, uh, leading up to Christ is that he would be a wonderful counselor and all these different names, but one of them was he would be the Prince of Peace. And we learned during Advent, or we were reminded during Advent, that peace only comes from Christ. That peace within, you're never going to have peace within without Jesus in your heart. And we're never going to have peace in the world without Jesus in the hearts of the world. And so we understand that the, the avenue to peace in the world is Jesus. Then week three, we just had a video of it, is what? Love. You know, probably the most famous scripture in all the world is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whosoever believeth him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And, and Christmas is that. For God so loved the world that he gave us whom? His son. And Christmas is the receiving of the gift of his son. And so what we remember during week three of Advent is the love that God has for us. And then we, we remember that not only does he have love for us, but that as the video said, um, I don't know if you, you can recall it, one of the things said, and the love should be contagious. That during the Advent season, that as we, we re-remember the love that Christ has for us, we also then say, God, how can I be an expression of your love to the world during Advent? So wouldn't it be awesome if this week, if every Christian around the world just focused on how could I love others well? That's what Advent's designed to do. That this week, that all around the globe, that millions and millions and millions of people would focus on the reality that, that God loves us and that we can then in turn love the world. And so this week during the Advent week, spend some time thinking about um, how God has loved you, celebrating how God has loved you, and then uh, think about how could God use you to share his love as we're anticipating the last week, which is going to be what? Joy. Pink is for joy. Um, saying one week until Jesus comes. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll light the white candle saying Christ has risen. Christ has, has come in our presence. Awesome. Amen. Thank you for that. Hey, I'm a little bit bummed today. Can I tell you why? I'm a little bit bummed today because today we're coming to our last sermon from our walk through the book of First Peter. And I have completely enjoyed um, going through this book. And I want you to understand something. I just felt I should share this, especially for anybody who's newer to the church, that, that we do something a little different around here. It's, it's different because it's not as modern 
um, we do it, it's been historically been done forever, is that a big part of what we do every year in the church, we do other little mini things, but a big part we do every year is we focus on one book that I felt, I feel really directed by the Lord usually to take one book and just kind of chunk by chunk go through a book of the Bible. And, um, and I want you to know something about that, that we take that really seriously, that the message that we preach here and the classes that we do, but the messages that we preach here, um, the sermon ideas and the, and the series of, from books in the Bible that we go through, none of them is done on a whim. Never do we just say, hey, I think we ought to do that because somebody else did that. That we continually ask God what he wants us to do and to preach on Sunday mornings and topics to cover. And I really believe that we could stand back as we come to the end of 1 Peter and go, oh my goodness, how in the world did God do what he did when he had Peter write 1 Peter 2,000 years ago? Because as we have walked through this book over this last year, walking through a pandemic, the topics that have been covered by 1 Peter that, that we had no choice but to cover. I actually made some of you mad at times because we, didn't, because I, we couldn't skip topics because we're going through it. And I knew if I dealt with the topics, remember the week that I brought tomatoes in? I started the sermon by having tomatoes up here. And I said, if you've got tomatoes in your purses or rocks in your purses, please empty them out right now because you're going to want to throw them at me during the service because we looked at what the Bible honestly said instead of what we wanted it to say. And that had to do with our submission to government and I just knew that would make a lot of people mad. And, I, and we talked about this. I was uncomfortable with what the Bible, what Peter and Paul and Jesus had to say about it. But we're going to say what does Peter, Paul, and Jesus have to say about it, not what do we say about it. And so we started that way, and we've done that through the whole thing. And God has taken us from topic to topic, thing to thing, as we've gone through this over the last six months or so, that have just spoken directly to our hearts. And so I've got to tell you, as I'm coming to the end of 1 Peter, I'm kind of bummed because I, you know, I felt directed to do that and I had studied it in advance, but I didn't see. I just My eyes weren't opened to how God was going to week after week just deal with the, with the current events of our culture and use 1 Peter as this incredible um, gift to help us figure out how to navigate some of these challenging times. So it's just been a, it's been a wonder, just a joy going through it. So that kind of makes me bummed, but I'm also really happy. And I'm happy because of what we're going to do starting January 1st. Um, starting the first week of January, for the month of January, which is five Sundays, we are going to, for the second year, we're going to do um, an Ignatian retreat um, to start off the year. And if you're unfamiliar with that, um, uh, Ignatius was a, a church father that developed a pattern for helping people kind of get regrounded. In, um, in their faith and a walk with him. And he took people through a process. He actually worked up on a one-month retreat and a silence, one month of silence. And they went through this, and they went through what he called four weeks, but it's really five weeks because it's a preparatory week. So we'll do it in five weeks like we did last year. And we're going to walk through that, and this is the reason why. Um, you know, we thought, well, we did that last year and really felt directed to do it. And we really felt like as we talked about it, you know what? Um, there's probably never been a time in our entire lives where we need to make sure we're, we're just solidly grounded on the things of God. And what Ignatian re Retreat does is it, it takes us through a process of dealing with our own problems. It starts off looking at the wonder of God, how glorious God is. Then we look at ourselves, the reality, and say, God, what things in us have to be, have to be dealt with? And then it goes into looking at what God would want in our lives as we look at the public life of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And so each one of those weeks, God's going to give us, help us have just a solid foundation of, of working in our lives, trying to say, how does he want us to launch into the year of 2022? Because I really believe something. I believe the best year of the church, the best years of the church are ahead. 
I honestly do. I believe we're going to go through more and more garbage in our society. I think it's going to get worse and worse. Some people think it's going to get better and better. I think it's going to get worse and worse. But I think it's going to get better and better for the church. It's going to whittle some people away. People who come to church because they just come to church instead of being the church might go, oh, I'm not so happy being there anymore. But I believe we have the greatest time of harvest ahead we've ever had because people are going to be, um, they're looking for answers. And one of the things we can do with this series is you can invite somebody to walk in this series along with you. Um, so that we'll have the teaching on Sunday morning and then every single week we'll give you um, uh, information that you can use through that week to focus on that particular um, topic for the week. And you could help somebody um, walk through that um, if they don't know the Lord or if they do know the Lord. And you just want to help them. So it's going to be a great thing. But for today, enough commercial for next week. For today, um, or for in a couple weeks, we come to our final sermon from the letter of First Peter. That remember, he wrote to a group of Christians who were being mistreated because of their faith in Jesus. And um, as we've been saying, because of that, they felt like they don't fit. And that's why that's been the idea the whole time. We don't fit. They're saying they kind of don't fit in society. And as we've been finding, what Peter wrote to them speaks to us um, to us as we follow Jesus in a culture that more and more it feels like we don't fit. And so the section that we're going to come to today, the final section we're going to come to today, are Peter's, Peter's final words of comfort and advice to people who are in a situation where they're living in a culture where they feel like they just don't fit. And so what I want you to do, or what I want to do is, and we're going to look at this section, we're going to look at First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, and we're going to pull out of that, but I just want to call this six pieces of advice. And I couldn't come up with a better word for it. Nuggets of advice, six pieces of advice, statements of advice um, that, that Peter's going to summarize this letter with to these people that he loves. So he loves us. So he's in, in love, he's saying, here's some summary thoughts about how you can live well in a world where you feel like you don't fit. So let's start in 1 Peter 5, verses First, verse 6, and let's read down to verse 11. Some of you are already saying, but Pastor Mark, that's not the end of the book. Well, the last couple of verses are just salutations and just saying goodbye to people and stuff. So this is the, the, the heart of it here. Therefore, so therefore, he's saying, based on everything I've written to you, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of sufferings are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, so four pieces of advice, and uh, um, you're going to see by the end, I think, how they kind of fit together, but they may seem a little disjointed until, until we kind of wrap it up. So the first piece of advice that Peter gives is this, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Peter here is talking about each of us knowing our place. That's really what he's talking about, knowing our place, knowing where we fit. He's reminding us that God is the mighty one. And that we are tucked away under his care. That God is great and we are small and he's protecting us. That's what humility refers to. See, humility is not denying our abilities or accomplishments. Sometimes people think it is. They're humble. They go, well, oh, I didn't do that or I didn't, do it. I didn't accomplish anything. No, it's not that. But rather, it's knowing 
and acknowledging that whatever abilities or accomplishments we may have, all are ultimately because of God in our lives, His abilities in us, and His working through us. So when we humble ourselves under His mighty hand of, the hand of God, we place ourselves under His protection and provision and wisdom, and we say everything that I am and all that I do is because God is covering me and protecting me. We go from where we are Lord and God of our lives to living, and we can even, as Christians, we can have Christ in our heart, but we can also still kind of live our lives where, where we're ruling, we're making decisions based on our own thinking. We can go from that to humbling is when we say, God, you're great, and I'm small, and I know my place. I'm coming under your rule and your reign. And I'll say this, friends, that makes all the difference in life, especially in a world where the world is in turmoil all around you. Because when the world's in turmoil, things feel like they're out of control, and a lot of times they are totally out of control in a human sense. But when I humble myself under God, then I don't have to have all the answers. When I humble myself under God, He has all the answers. I don't have to have all the provision. I don't have to know how it's all going to work out because He has all the provision and He knows how it work, works out. And so when I understand that He's all is everything and I'm humbled underneath Him, then I can learn to rest under His care and His provision. And understanding our position of humbling ourselves under God, I would say this, is, is our source of peace and rest. If we want to know in a, in a chaotic world, how do we find peace and rest? We, it's about learning to do what Paul said, or Peter says here. We come in, we humble ourselves under God so that we are living under his peace and rest in a world of turmoil. And that's what Peter's ending by saying, listen, church, listen, friends, this is what I want for you. Now, to understand fully how his heart of what he's saying, it, look at what he says also about humbling yourself. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What? Why? That he may exalt you at the proper time. So he's saying God's not wanting you to humble yourself under him because God somehow is on some kind of power trip. And God is this big ogre in the sky. And God is saying, you know, what I really want is I created this world and I want to dominate them and I want to oppress them and I want to hold them down. So I'm saying, humble yourself under me. I want to dominate and oppress you. I'm over you. You're under me. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, rather, it's God's plan as you humble yourself under him to at the right time exalt you. You see, church, the scriptures are true when it says this, the meek will inherit the earth. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he's referring to, this idea here, that as we humble ourselves, we're meek. We understand it's, it's, it's all about God. It's not about us exerting ourselves. It's about us knowing our position under God. That God's plan as we do that, God's plan is to bless us and to lift up all of us as his followers. And that will ultimately be experienced when Jesus returns as a reigning king on this earth. And it says this in Scripture, we will then reign with him. And so Peter starts off saying, how do I want to wrap up my thoughts to these people? He says, the first thing I want you to know is that humble yourself under God because God wants to raise you up. And friends, knowing this, having this in our hearts changes everything. Because yes, we go through hard times. But looking down the road, we understand the truth. God is caring for us. And God says, I'm going to continue to care for you and bless you. And one day I'm going to exalt you. You're going to reign with me. That's a sure and certain future.
for those who follow Christ. Those who realize their need of a Savior, and so we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and receive salvation, the offers in Christ, that we then can say, God, we trust in you, and not only we have salvation, but we have a sure future in you as we trust in you. So that's his first, so that, amen. So that's his first piece of advice. Humble yourself under God's hand. It's the best place to be. Now, what's the second piece of advice that he gives us today? He says this, after you humble yourself, and you're going to see they're tied together here. Humble yourself. He says then, second piece, um, cast your, verse 7, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter knows that in this life, you're going to have troubles. Matter of fact, the Apostle John said exactly that. In this life, you will have trouble. And Peter knows that. And this is what he knows. Troubles cause anxiety. Troubles cause anxiety. You know, think about this. Are there things in your life right now that are causing you anxiety? Are there things right now that are keeping you up at night? Are there things right now that are raising your blood pressure? Doctors putting you on lisinopril or beta blockers because going, hey, dude, your blood pressure is too high. Are there things in your life right now that is you're focusing on? Remember, in this world, you'll have troubles, and troubles cause anxiety. And those troubles then, because the anxiety are causing you fear and depression, that you're afraid of what the future, because you're afraid of the future, or you can't control the future. A lot of times what happens is we feel depressed then. Because we feel like we can't, we, we are out of control. There's nothing we can do about it. We feel hopeless. Is that how you're feeling this? I'd say this. If you're breathing right now, go like this, go. <sighs> Exhale. Are you breathing? If you're breathing right now, you have a level of anxiety in your life. If you've lived through the last year and a half, you have some anxiety in your life. If you're raising children, you have some anxiety in your life. If you are navigating your aging parents' issues, you have some anxiety in your life. If you're just going through, you're working a job and you've got a boss, you have some anxiety in your life. Well, Peter here is acknowledging that anxiety is simply part of life. Yes, as a Christian, the, the, the baloney of the, the word of faith message that was out forever, unfortunately, is not so prevalent anymore, is, but there's this foolish lingering idea that if you serve Christ, you'll never have problems. That's just not true. Peter didn't say, if you have anxiety here, did he? Did he say, if you have anxiety? No, he just says, he talks about humble yourself under God and then cast all your anxiety on him. He just says it's part of life. He acknowledges the reality of our anxiety and he tells us what to do about it. And here's the amazing, this is the wonderful thing that Paul said, or Peter says here. Cast all your anxiety on him. We give the anxiety-producing situation to God, remembering when we humble ourselves under his care, now acknowledging ultimately that we entrust everything to him. So because he cares for us and we trust everything to him, then he invites us to do something, to unload our anxiety onto him. He's offering something here. He's saying, listen, Cast your anxiety on me. Unload your anxiety on me. Now, if you're a person who has some struggles with anxiety, you go, Larson, that sounds real nice, but it just doesn't work that way. You go, yeah, 
cast your anxieties on it. What, I have a fishing roll and I, I cast it away? What do I, I just throw it? Sounds real nice and easy and great, but here's the question, but how? How do you, how do you in the middle of the night, when anxiety is keeping you awake, and I'm a master of this. I've been working on it for years. There's nobody who spend more wakeless nights in their life than me trying to figure this out. How? Let me give you my best two-part answer to how it works from, a, from Scripture and from practical life. First, it's this. First, it's how we deal with it, how the Scripture says to deal with it, and then I'm going to give it a practical way to apply it. And so to look at the first part of it, let's turn in our Bibles a few chapters, two books over to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We're going to come back to First Peter in a minute, but go to Philippians chapter 4. Look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this exact same topic. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, I'll let you get there. I was, as you're turning there, I was dealing with somebody recently, we were talking about a small group ministries in church and how come they're really not working anymore in a nation very well in a lot of places. And me and the person we're talking, you're saying one of the reasons is because the corporate anxiety level in the, na- in the nation is through the roof and no one feels equipped to handle anybody else's stuff. Because when you're drowning, when you're, when you're drowning, what happens? What do they say when you're, what they tell you is a lifeguard? Don't ever grab that person, right? Because they'll pull you under with them. We've got a whole society right now that's barely keeping their head above water. It's the kind of situation we're in is saying, how are people helping other people? Because when they're at the brink of, can't help themselves. You there, Philippians 4? 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We'll stop right there. Um, there's a whole bunch here. This, this, is, this is one or two sermons in themselves. There's a whole lot here we could unpack, but I just want to pull out the big thing that the Apostle Paul's saying here. It's this. Based on the reality that the Lord is near, because look at verse 4, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. Based on reality, because be humble yourself under God would be Peter's way of saying it. The Lord is near, humble yourself under God, rest in his control. Based on that, based on the fact that the Lord is there and he's covering you, we, will give, we then give the situation to him in prayer. Based on his nearness, we then pray about it. The New, the New Living Translation says it like this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Say, okay, this is practical here. It's talking about making a choice. Instead of allowing your mind to continually grind on a problem, and you know what that means, you're laying in bed at night, and your mind is grinding on a problem, it won't let go. It goes on and on and on and on. You can't let it go. You're going to find the solution. Or you're going to replay the events enough in your mind that somehow you think you're going to satisfy yourself. It's going to turn out different or you're not going to be as frustrated and your anxiety level is going up but you keep grinding it over and over in your mind. He says, make a choice. Instead of allowing your mind to grind on a problem or a hurt, rather choose to turn the opportunity into, into a prayer that you invite Jesus into it and you give it over to him. Now, this is where the second part of my answer comes in. Because you say, how do I do that? So you say, okay, the scripture is saying, don't be worried about it. Paul, Peter says, this is cast it on God. 
Paul says, well, the way you cast it on God is you don't worry about it, you pray about it. But how do you just pray about it instead of grinding on it in your mind? How do you make this choice to do something different? Well, I want to share with you a form of prayer that can be really helpful here. And it's one that in our Wednesday night classes we teach pretty often and, and one that I think I've maybe shared on a Sunday morning in the past, but it's helped me dramatically with this situation of how do I actually cast my care upon the Lord. And it's called the prayer of movement. And some of you are familiar with this, but I want to go through, there's actually three movements in the prayer of movement. I want to rehearse it with you. I want to show you how this works practically. The prayer of movement has three movements. The first movement, and you do it, it's not only is it three different functions, but you, have three, you actually use your body, use your hands and your arms as a way of, of praying. So that it, it's gonna, it's gonna visual, you're going to visualize something in your head that's going to help you learn to do this, to do what they're asking you to do here. The first thing is this. You, you put your hands down like this, and you, you hold the problem in your hands. You think about the problem. What's the problem you're going through? What's the thing that's keeping you up at night? You hold the problem in your hands, and you just you deal with it. And here's the thing that Christian people have got wrong for a long time. It's called um, you know, like spiritual denial. They have all kinds of, we have all kinds of terms for it. Uh, don't confess that. I don't receive that. And we say all that stuff. So some of you are young enough, you've not, you didn't have to go through all that nonsense when it was terrible. That was the whole church world 20 years ago. Don't you do the negative confession. I don't receive that. You know, and you hear it all the time. So I've got some people who say, they're not necessarily here, but re- relation, hear it all the time. Don't receive that. I don't, re- I don't believe that report. Well, the doctor said you got it. I don't believe that report. Well, here's the deal. You hold it down here. And you say, here's truth. Here's the reality that's going on. And you, and you, you, you say it. This is what's real. This is what's going on with my child, Lord. This is what's happening with my husband, Lord. This is what's going on in my heart, Lord. This is where I'm struggling, Lord. And you, you spill it out like, the, like, like David does in the Psalms over and over and over again. You spill out the truth. You say, this is truth. But here's what a lot of people think prayer. They think that's prayer. Prayer is just telling all the junk. I sit in the corner, I tell God, here's the rotten, terrible situation of my life right now. doesn't stop there. The second movement of prayer is you lift your hands up to here. And in this situation, what you do is you invite Jesus into the situation. You invite him in. And you say this, Jesus, I welcome you into my situation. And, and here's the deal with my kids right now. Here's the deal my spouse right now. And at this situation, here's where knowing the word of God is so important. You begin to say, God, speak to me about this situation. God, what do you say about the situation? And yes, we have the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. But the main way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through, through the illumination of the word of God. And the Lord starts saying to you, this is what a situation is true about the situation. Yes, you have this illness, but I am the healer. Yes, you're going for tribals, but I will never leave you alone. And you begin to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you about the reality of the situation. And you're saying, God, what is your perspective? You got my perspective. What is your perspective on the situation right now? And you hold it. You physically hold your hands. Here is my situation, God. What do you say about it, Jesus? I'm inviting you into the situation. I don't want to handle it on my own. I'm inviting you in. What do you say? What do you want to do about it? And you spend time with the Lord just inviting them in. You rest in the Lord and you say, what do you say? But here's the other thing. People will get to this point and they say it stops there. It doesn't stop there. That's the second part of the movement. There's another movement in prayer. 
It's what Peter's getting at and Paul's getting at in the texts we read. You cast your care upon the Lord. You don't do it the third movement. You lift the need up and you hand it off to God. You literally, and I've done this with people so many times, countless times I've prayed for people at the altar, and I'll take them through this movement, and I'll pick their hands up like this, and they will begin weeping and just crying. It never ceases to amaze me, just crying and crying because they feel the release of the weight because God never said, hold your prayer here and just invite me in. What does Peter say? Cast your care upon the Lord. I cast my care upon the Lord. I release it in your hands, and I end my prayer this way, and God... You need to do this thing your way, however you want. I have done my part, and now I give it over to you. God, it's yours. It's in your hands. You told me to cast my cares upon you. I'm giving it to you, Lord. I've invited you into it. Now I'm releasing your care. And guess what, God? I'm going to bed now. I'm tired. It's yours. That's how we do this. It's a very practical movement of how we learn. But oftentimes, our prayer, we just wallow in our our problem. The problems are real. We say, well, here's what God says about it. But it doesn't end there. It ends by then taking it and releasing it to the Lord. And that's what Peter is getting at here, is the process, this process helps us. This, the, the, he's cast it, and this three-part process that church history has developed helps us be able to visualize what we're doing so that, so that we actually leave it with the Lord. Because a lot of times we just, when we pray, we actually make the matters in our minds worse because we don't ever leave it with the Lord. We just hold on to it and it just makes it bigger. But we actually, and here's the deal. If you do it once, and the next day you feel anxiety, you do it again. And the next day you feel anxiety, you do it again. You know, there's a principle in scripture that says keep on coming back, you know. So we, we keep praying. We, so it's not that just by doing that it solves everything, but it allows you to release it for that moment until the next moment when you need to release it again. Does that make sense? So that's Peter's second piece of advice for living in a world where we don't seem to fit. We give our anxiety to God. And what a great gift that we get to be able to give our anxiety over to the Lord. What's next? Look at the next thing. We've got to move through this. Next thing is this. It says, be on the alert. Let's look back at verses 8 and 9 again. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren, all who are all in the world. So Peter wants us to be ever aware of the fact that we have a very real adversary. And that's what he calls the devil here. The devil's not some cute little guy with, with you know, wearing a red suit and with, horns and a pitchfork. He's your adversary. That's how he calls them. That we have a very real adversary that is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now imagine, Peter's writing this on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to get us to take it seriously. He doesn't say he's like a little kitten. He said he's like a roaring lion looking to kill you. That's the imagery he's painting. He's saying, you have an adversary. He's saying, don't don't be unaware, don't take this lightly, you have an adversary that is as brutal as any imagery he could concoct in his mind, a roaring lion seeking to devour you, looking for you, here's what he's looking for you to do, friends, he's looking for you to drop your guard in your life, to give him access to your life, he's looking for you to be casual with the things in your spiritual life that could give the enemy a foothold into your life. He's looking for you to looking for any opportunity, any en, en, entry point to come into your life and to try to bring 
you down. And Peter is serious about this, and he wants us to be as serious about this as he is. Um, there is an, uh, an, an adversary, he's saying, that's looking to destroy your marriage. Your marriage problems aren't just because you said your wife's crabby today, your husband's crabby today. There's an enemy behind it. He's looking to destroy your marriage. There's an adversary looking to lead your kids and your grandkids away from Jesus. It's not just, oh, this is the culture. No, there's an adversary, Peter's saying, a real adversary, and he's looking to lead your children away from Jesus. There's an adversary that is looking for ways to trip you up in such a way so that your life, um, it, it looks that, that the words you speak are not validated by the life you live so that when you tell people about Christ, they don't want to listen because they go, why would I listen to you? Your life doesn't even make it. There's an adversary trying to bring your life down so that your testimony doesn't stand up. There's an adversary looking to do this. Peter is saying, moms and dads and husbands and wives and children of God, be on the alert against the schemes of the enemy. You know, what things is the enemy putting in your path today that are pulling you away from Jesus? He's wanting you to look at life that way. What things is the enemy, your adversary, putting in your life today that is pulling you away from walking with Jesus fully? What things is he tempting you with that are slowly driving a wedge in your marriage that you recognize but you're not doing anything about or maybe you don't even recognize because you're not looking? What things is he putting in there is he tempting you with to be involved with, to engage with that are actually driving driving a wedge in your marriage? What lies is he feeding you that are causing division or unforgiveness or hate to rise up in your heart? What things is the enemy doing? Peter is saying, open up our eyes. He's saying, we really have an adversary that really is out to destroy us. Now, he's not saying, and boo-hoo, because of that, there's no hope. No. Look what he says. He says what we should do about it. He says, how can we win against this? He's saying it's, it's completely right and possible and God's plan for you to win against this, but how? And he says here, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. That's what he says, verse 9. But resist him. You got this roaring lion who wants to kill you? He says to this, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Think about this. The way to resist the devil, he's saying here, is to stand firm in our faith. In other words, know what is true and do what your faith instructs. And I don't know if there's ever been a time in history that the church has to say this message over and over, that yes, God's a loving God, but the loving God has given us a way to live that is best for us. And if we go outside the guidelines, we are open up the, outside the protection of living humbly under his, in his care, we are opening ourselves up for the attacks of the devil. That there are ways we are supposed to live and if we, that he has given us as part of our faith. And if we don't do that, we are opening ourselves up to be destroyed by an adversary who's infinitely more powerful and cunning and smart and wise than we are. And there's never been a time in society maybe where we have to be reminded of that than we do right now. So our faith tells us things like, well, forgive as we have been forgiven. To stand firm in our faith is to put that into practice in our life in every circumstance. Not to make the excuse that says, yeah, but you don't know my situation, Pastor Mark. No, standing on our faith says forgive as you've been forgiven. 
Standing on our faith says, you know what? You can't serve. Can't Say can't with me. You can't serve God and money at the same time. Well, that's one for Ozaki County. That's for the whole world. To stand firm in our faith then leads us into generous living where keeping up with the Joneses is not a, a, a part of our lives. Because he's saying that's an entry point for the enemy in our lives. Our faith says to have no idols. So to stand firm in our faith, we choose not to place more importance or give more attention to anything above our life in Christ. Anything above our life in Christ. So our faith is designed to what we believe and then how God says to live that out is designed to keep us safe from the attacks of the enemy. It's how we stand firm in our faith. I hope we can see what's happening here. As we do what our faith instructs, we close the door on the entry points where the devil can get a foothold into our lives. It's as practical as it is, as it gets. And Peter is encouraging us to take this seriously as in his final departing words. Remember, these are his departing words. He's saying, listen, I got some real important nuggets for you, some pieces of wisdom for you, words of advice. And he's throwing these out here. And this is, listen, the enemy's out there. But just stand firm in your faith and, you, and resist him that way. Let's look at the last one. There's one more piece of advice that Peter gives us here, and it's this. Trust the work of God's grace in your life. Look at verse 10 again. Trust the work of God's grace in your life. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter acknowledges that as a Christian, you will suffer. We talked about that. People will treat you badly. They will mistreat you uh, for all sorts of reasons. But through it all, the God of all grace, who he says here, who called you by name. He's, he's this God who's, who's, he's a God of all grace who called you. He called you on purpose. Friends, God, every one of you, God knows you, and he has picked you on purpose to be his very own. That that God, the God of all grace, who picked you on purpose will care for you, and he will shape you into the best you that could ever be and empower you to live the victorious life that he's provided for you. That's what Peter is saying here, that the God of all grace will what? Will perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish you. He's in this process of transformation within you, creating you into the best you that is conformed to the likeness of Christ. And it's all done, he says, by the power of his grace. Friends, grace is all about power. Grace is God doing in you what you cannot do for yourself. That's what grace really is. And so it's an empowerment. So God is doing in you what you cannot do for yourself as what? As we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And know this, if God is doing the work in your life, then nothing from the outside can stop it. Because there is nothing greater than God on this planet or this universe or in the cosmos. Nothing greater than God. So if God is doing the work in your life, then nothing from the outside can stop the work of God. Now I'm added from the outside on purpose here. Because nothing out there can hinder God's work of grace in me or you. 
In fact, God uses, here's the thing we got to learn, God uses the out there things, the troubles, the difficulties, the, the, the obstacles and trials, the out there stuff he uses to mold and shape us by his grace into the people he's making us into. But there is something that can hinder the development of God in our life, and it's in here. There's nothing out there, but there's something that's in here. You see, you notice that each of the pieces of advice that Peter has given us to this point contain our own personal involvement. Look at that. We each need to humble ourselves under the hand of God. He didn't say God's going to do that, force it. We each need to do that. That I must choose to cast my anxiety upon him. I must make the choice. You know what? In the middle of the night when you're racked with anxiety, if you, if you want, and I do this, you can literally do the prayer of movement laying in your bed, but you've got to choose to do it. Or whatever way you want to do it, you have to choose to do it. I must choose to stop grinding on the problem in my heart and my soul and turn it over to prayer. I must choose to do that. Otherwise, I'll live in anxiety. I must choose, you must choose to be on the alert for the enemy's traps and choose to resist him by living out our faith. That's a choice I have to make and you have to make. So Peter is saying that God has a great plan for each of us, accomplished by his unstoppable grace and power, and that this plan involves our participation. It's his grace. When his grace is involved, nothing from the outside can stop it. No devil can stop it. No demon can stop it. The only thing that can stop it is if we choose not to participate. We choose not to go along. We choose not to live under the umbrella of his grace. Of his, humble ourselves under his love, under his place, live it his way, live out our faith the way he says so, then we take ourselves outside of that. But if I'll live within it and I'll humble myself under him, the plan of his grace doing the work in your hearts, he'll use all that outside stuff to conform us into the people he wants us to be. And if we participate with it, then it all works. God's grace is essential, God's plan is essential, and our participation in the plan is essential. So I end with this thought today. So today, where is the Holy Spirit inviting you to really get involved with Him in His work of grace in your life? Maybe the way He's working in your heart right now, here or those watching online, is it's the first act of you recognizing that you need a Savior. You recognize you're lost without Him. You recognize you don't know Christ as Savior. And so that the first act in your life is saying, God is calling me by name, like we just talked He's calling me by name, but I need to respond. I need to say yes to God. And the action that you need to take today in cooperating with the Holy Spirit is saying, God, yes, I want to come under your umbrella. I'm living where I'm up here and you're here. I need to make the switch and allow you to be my God, and I want to come humbly under you. That's where salvation begins. We say, we need you. We come to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, you gave your life on a cross for me. You died for me. You paid the price for my sin, and now I come to you, and I say, wash me clean. Make me new, and receive me into your family. That can be the, that's the starting place for some of you maybe today. You say yes to God. But maybe some of you have done that already, or most of us have done that, but do you need to get maybe more serious about living out your faith, that you know what to do. And it's easy on Sunday morning, but Monday morning is coming. 
And God is saying, I'm trying to do this wonderful work of grace in your life, but you keep sabotaging it because Monday morning you walk back into your own path, your own way, patterns of living. And God is saying, listen, I want to help you, but we got to work together on this. He's inviting you. And you know, here's the deal. As he's, as he's inviting you to do that, no two of us in this room will have the same words from the Lord on what that, that is. So as we end today, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me? What work are you doing in me today? Friends, let's just not miss the opportunity of joining with the active work of grace of the Holy Spirit by not allowing our hearts to be open and saying, God, I'm going to take a step with you. So that's what he offers us today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, every one of us is completely different today. And I just stand here as a representative of, of this amazing, wonderful church family. Kind, generous, loving, compassionate people. But we know this, Lord. We're not satisfied with where we're at in our walks with you. That you, by, by your grace, are according to Peter, are working in our lives here. You are conforming us and strengthening us and perfecting us and establishing us. You're making us into the people you want us to be. That you have had a plan all along, and Lord, we want to participate with you in that activity. And so, Lord, right now I would ask this, because we know this about you, Lord. You are the one who speaks to us deep in our souls as individuals. Thank you that you have a, a corporate life for us, but every person here today sits as an individual that's part of a body. And each one of us is at a totally different space, spot, Lord. We know that. And today, Lord, Holy Spirit, in this moment, we ask that you would speak to our hearts right now. Speak to our hearts right now. What are those things inside of us that you are inviting us to join you in? What are those things? Maybe, Lord, there's fear inside of our heart and you're asking us to just to trust you, to cast our anxiety upon you. Lord, today, we want to do that. We want to be honest about our situation and invite you into it and release it into your care. Teach us how to do that this morning. Lord, maybe there's some things in our lives that, that don't line up with what we know is right, that we really know. We, have, we know what our faith says, how our life should be lived, but yet we sabotage ourselves. And God, maybe in some of those situations, we've tried and we've tried and we're hooked. Lord, right now, your grace, nothing is, nothing is stronger than your grace. And Lord, we pray right now as we're going to release those things to you and spend some time in prayer in a moment, that Lord, as we release those to you right now, you would break chains. You'd break chains of addiction. You'd break chains of wrong thinking. You'd, make, you'd break chains of, of unforgiveness. That Lord, you would do by your spirit what we can't do on our own because we're, we're partnering with you. We're, we're s surrendered and humbled under you. 
So you're doing the work. We trust you for that. Because maybe you're here today and you've never taken that first step. You've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord or you're uncertain if you ever have. You're saying, Pastor Mark, I've tried it on my own and it's not working and today I just... I just feel his presence and know inside of my heart he's calling me. And I want to turn from my self-rule and I want to come under his grace. I want to have the spirit of the Lord make me brand new, cleanse me from my past, and give me a brand new start in Jesus. So today I want to I ask, ask Jesus into my heart. you want to do that this morning I'd invite you just to simply right now in the quietness of your seat just in your heart talk to the Lord say something like this Jesus I'm desperate for you I've tried it on my own and it's not working and today I surrender my life to you I give you my all because, and my all's not much, but I give it all. And I ask you today to, to wrap your arms around me. To make me brand new from the inside out, which, which you, I know that I've been heard, only you can do. And right now, Jesus, you'd wash away my sin. Take away my guilt. And you'd make me a brand new person from the inside out, that no longer just a self-willed person, but now I am in the family of God. So today, I ask you, Jesus, welcome me into your family. Make me brand new. And on this day, I give my heart fully over to you. Help me now to follow you. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. I receive you today as my Savior and Lord. So Jesus.